0: hello vampires and slayers this is Mistress ray and you're listening to what's this bitch talking about To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. Okay, so let's, we got to get into the body tonight, guys. We got to get into the body and out of the mind. What was that? I don't know. Um, (laughs) um, but before that, let's talk about Angel, shall we? You know what I think I'm going to do today? I don't normally burn incense while I'm sitting in here. I normally just light a bunch of candles, but... Today, I think we need some incense. So, hold please. Okay, so the Angel episode that aired the same night as The Body was called Epiphany, or The Epiphany, or something. So, um, I don't feel like I have a whole lot to say about it, but at least we're finally getting, um, Angel being back to normal again. But I don't really like how this goes, so... At the end of the last episode, which I'm sure I mentioned last week, Angel and Darla have sex. So at the very beginning of this episode, we see the aftermath of that and we see all of the, it's echoing the same scene as when Angel had sex with Buffy, you know, that whole waking up in the middle of the night and convulsing and, you know, Angel doing his whole thing. And you know, raining outside and thunder and everything was just a total parallel. It was like he woke up in the middle of a dead sleep. And so Darla thinks, and you know, the viewer is supposed to think that he is in the process of losing his soul again. And I can see how like originally when this aired, that probably would have been a fear because he's been so messed up over Darla this entire season that it's possible that people might have believed that he was truly in love with her and he could have achieved a perfect moment of happiness that's certainly what she thought Um, of course you know that whole perfect moment of happiness isn't an orgasm you know it's always been maintained that that plot device is not just an orgasm it's that perfect moment of calm and contentedness after. So, Michael just interrupted me to tell me that Celestial Seasonings is a cult. (laughs) I drink their Sleepy Time tea. (laughs) Of course, I mean, it's basically just chamomile, so I can get chamomile tea from somewhere else. Um, (laughs) I know nothing more about it than that little interruption. Anyway, so... It's always been maintained that it's like not just an orgasm, but it's a moment of contentedness. But like the only thing that Buffy and Angel did once they found out that that was what led him to losing his soul whenever they were back in a relationship again, the only precaution they took was not having sex. So I can totally understand how people would regularly get confused, even though Joss Whedon's always saying, no, 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 it's not about the sex. <laughs> Well, seems like it kind of is, you know, anyway, so it's natural for, you know, viewers at home and Darla to think that that's what this is, but it turns out that's just what Angel looks like when he's having an epiphany. <laughs> so it's basically like, I don't under, I still kind of think this whole thing is stupid, but having sex with Darla apparently was what he needed It was like breakup sex or something for him. It was like, finally, he could close the door on Darla after that. And he treats her pretty dismissively afterwards. I mean, like, he's definitely treated her worse. But he, I don't know. I just didn't like how he was sort of like, okay, I'm done now. We're done. I feel good. Get out. You know, I just really didn't like that. And the fact that the that the way that the whole encounter started was kind of rapey, even though Darla was definitely into it. So it wasn't rapey, but it felt kind of rapey. And of course, that's my hypersensitivity to these sorts of things. But that is definitely playing into it. But I don't know. I just really hated that. I just really hated that. That whole like, okay, I'm good now. You can go. And I just think he could have been much more sensitive about that, but he wasn't. Um, so the rest of the episode is just sort of like angels swooping in to save everyone from different things. Cause there's like that, that cult with the eye in the back of the head, which I probably didn't even mention, um, the demons with the eyeballs and you like just stayed out the back of someone's skull and whatever, they were all in danger from that particular, um, sect of demons. So Angel saved them in this episode. He also saved Kate. He just like threw her in a cold shower in her apartment because she had overdosed on pills and she seemed fine after he did that. Like, I feel like there would be more to it than that. I mean, if we could have at least seen her throw up or something, we could believe that she had purged her stomach of the pills, but I don't think we saw that or else I looked away when it happened. I don't know. So this is just sort of the beginning of Angel coming back into the fold and like trying to earn back the trust of his friends. And you find out that 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 ring thing that was supposed to be one of the things that took... Angel to hell had been disenchanted before he got a hold of it. So that whole charade with the Wolferman Hart guy taking Angel on the elevator ride to hell and then it just takes him back to right where he started to tell you that hell is humanity was all just a ruse. But it's, I don't know, there's some kind of like existentialism ideas that might be interesting that are trying to be put forth by this episode sort of like one thing that Angel says at some point during the episode is and I didn't take any notes for this this is all just from memory from my my memory of like an hour and a half ago so (laughs) um but it's about to be perched forever I'm sure um but at one point he says something that sounds kind of smart and it's like this is probably like a quote from someone else even but like the the quote is you know he realized that nothing matters that you know it I guess this whole time up to now on the Angel series we're supposed to think that he's fighting for some sort of redemption he's trying to rack up his good place points or whatever the fuck and you know there was a moment of darkness when he realized that none of that when he thought he was realizing that none of that matters and that's why he slept with Darla. But then his epiphany had something to do with, well, if nothing you do matters, then all that matters is what you do. So that was kind of smart. I think the idea that they're trying to convey in this episode, in this particular story arc, is interesting, but I just don't feel it. And I feel like I say that every week. So I don't know if there's, if it's a failing in the, the writers, the directors, David Boreanaz as a character just isn't bringing it for me. And that could really be it. Sorry, David Boreanaz. I do. And I think I've probably said this before, but I think that he is a better actor now than he started out, which makes sense. Of course, you're always going to get better at your craft, but, or maybe Angel wasn't really the best possible character for him, or maybe he's his, who he is as a, who Angel is as a character just doesn't do it for me in general. So it doesn't really matter how good of an actor. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I've just never really been to Angel, into Angel as a character in general, So why do I talk about Angel every week? I don't know, but let's stop. So that was basically that episode. He's trying to ingratiate himself to his friends. He does actually, like, throughout the whole episode, he's not saying he's sorry. Really, he's just sort of saying, I had an epiphany. I'm different now. And people, people being Gunn, Wesley, and Cordelia are not just automatically accepting him again, which makes sense because he's been a colossal dick this entire season. So, you know, in their perspective for months, he's been at the very least cranky and dismissive and inattentive. But then at the very most, he's been outright antagonistic towards them. So at the very end of the episode, it almost looks like they already forgive him, which bugs me. I hope I hope that we see a little bit more progress and not just instant acceptance in future episodes, but I don't remember how this whole thing plays out. Um, But yeah, that's the Angel episode. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do any ratings tonight. Um, I don't usually rate Angel, do I? I don't even remember, but in any case, I'm not going to. But the reason that I'm not going to rate the body is because I might give it a five by five rating, whatever. I don't even know. I never know what I'm going to do until I'm doing it. So I should stop talking now. So I'm going to take a little break, take a couple deep breaths and talk about the body. So hold, please. I'm not sure. Like I thought that I would just be sitting here blubbering, crying this whole episode, talking to you guys. Um, it remains to be seen if I will cry at some point, but I think forcing myself to watch this episode twice in order to do this podcast, you know, twice in the last three days, um, I think I've sort of moved through some of the trauma. So I'm thinking I might be all cried out about Joyce, but if I do cry, it's just because, well, you know, you know, I mean, if you watched this episode ever and most likely you have if you're listening to this, and a reminder, just in case this is the first episode that you tune into on <laughs> what's this bitch talking about podcast, you can tell I'm old because I say things like tune in um then you know you know how upsetting this is anyway th- if this is the first time you're listening to my podcast, this is not a spoiler free podcast. I mean, obviously I'm going to be talking about the episode that I'm talking about right now, but at any time I might spoil other things in future episodes of the series. If you are looking for a spoiler-free Buffy podcast, not that they need my help at all whatsoever, but Buffering the Vampire Slayer is a really great podcast that does not do spoilers. Um, so, okay. The episode starts with that little scene that we saw at the end of the last episode with Buffy getting home, seeing the flowers, and you see her looking up the stairs and you see her mom on the couch in the background. And then she turns around and she's like, mom, what you doing? Mom? Mom? Mommy? And it's awful. And then Credits, or then theme song. And then during the credits, they had like a scene that was a flashback scene to like a Christmas dinner or something, which is really sweet. And it was, it's sad that we didn't really get scenes like this. I mean, this was like Buffy's house was all decorated for Christmas and Joyce had made a big meal and it was Joyce and Giles and Anya and Xander and Tara and Willow and Dawn and Giles and Buffy and Everybody, of course, does, does Joyce have any of her own friends that she invited over? No, but everybody's there and they're dressed up and they're all like, you know, full and talking after the meal and it's, it's really sweet. And I'm like, obviously this, this episode is, um, this is the moment that this is the little flashback that we're getting as a total contrast to, you know, the death of Joyce but this moment was really sweet and like seeing the interactions between like you know it's Buffy Giles and Joyce that are cleaning up after the meal and they're in the kitchen and you know the the way that they're interacting with each other in the kitchen feels really easy and normal and and Giles is like should we open another bottle of wine you know like should we be bad and Yeah, it was just a sweet little moment and um, Buffy references band candy, which I think this was a good, it was good to have that in there because, you know, that happened in like season two, three, one of those, probably three, so, you know, for them that's been only only like two years two or three years between and we've seen a lot of scenes this season between Joyce and Giles you know that we've seen them interact with each other a little bit more like Joyce has been in the series more in this season than she was in every other season combined I would assume and it's just because she's in peril basically I don't think that she was really respected as a mother figure that much throughout the series. Um, Yet another reason why Buffy is actually not a feminist show. Say it with me now. (laughs) You probably could drink every time I say that, because I probably don't say it more than once an episode, so you wouldn't die, but (laughs) drink responsibly, please. What I think this episode does really, really well is capturing that, that space, that space right after tragedy hits. Now I personally, like as affected as I am by this episode, I haven't dealt with that kind of loss in my life. Knock on Buffy episode guide. I, I mean, I've had people that I was somewhat close to pass on, but never someone that I am that close to. And the only time I was ever like, you know, there've been two funerals in my life where I saw the body, but, you know, for the most part, I avoid that. And I got lucky after the tornado that, I mean, there were a lot of stories um, about people coming upon dead people. And I, I was in a pretty bad part. Um, my house was in the neighbor, a neighborhood that got, I mean, like everything got completely decimated in my neighborhood. So, I mean, it was a possibility that I could have seen something like that, but I didn't. Um, So anyway, (laughs) I didn't know I was going to go there, but, um, you know, the, the closest situation like this, you know, so what I'm basically, what I'm saying is what I relate to when it comes to this episode, what feels true for me is, you know, how weird it feels right after tragedy strikes. I mean, even like, that's the biggest thing that I have to call from. Oh my God. You know what I've just realized? (laughs) I'm saying, I've never had someone close to me die. My dad died in 2011. I always, like, forget. That makes me feel bad, but, like, I forget. I do. Because we weren't that close, and he actually died um, within a month of the tornado. So, like, I don't know how often I've mentioned the tornado to you guys, but just, like, quickly, quick story... (laughs) in 2011, so it's been almost 10 years, there was a gigantic tornado, like F5 is the rating, which is like really big, I guess, whatever, um, hit my hometown where I live. And it totally decimated large chunks of this town. And it it destroyed my house, my mom's house, my little sister's house. And we all lived next to each other. My mom was in the middle and my sister was re- My sister was renting the house on one side of her and my, me and my Michael were renting the house on the opposite side, opposite side of her. So we all got wiped out. Luckily we weren't like, we had bruises and cuts and stuff from debris. Um, Cause we were all there. Um, we were all home. We were all at my mom's actually, we were all, we gathered at her house and that's where it happened. But um, that's the biggest like thing that I have to draw from when I talk about trauma because I was in the middle of it as it was happening and it destroyed, you know, the foundations of my life literally, because it destroyed my childhood home. It destroyed the home that I currently lived in. It destroyed, it destroyed my grandparents' house as well, but theirs was a little, theirs was more salvageable, so they were able to rebuild, but they had to move out into a trailer in their backyard. So it was like, throughout the entire summer, it was one of the hottest summers ever, ever, ever. And anyway, (laughs) um, I just shut down there for a second, but the way that I relate to this episode is relating to those moments after that happened. You know, I definitely went through stages of grief. Like you see people go through in this episode. You know, I went through the denial because I remember thinking to myself because I had worked that day and I had, my mom and I were going to like get together after I got off work and we were going to watch Glee or something. (laughs) And I remember thinking, does this mean we don't get to watch Glee now? You know, like those kind of things that like, it seems so absurd that you would think that in a moment like that. I mean, your house was just destroyed, (laughs) you know, your entire life was uprooted and there was just, there was, it felt, it felt so awful because there was nothing to grab onto, you know, it was like, I did, I felt like I was, I mean, I was instantly homeless, But I also felt like there was nowhere, I mean, I had felt homeless before in other times in my life, whenever I was kind of drifting and as a young adult, whatever, whatever, that's a whole other story, but there, this felt different because there was nowhere there was nowhere to grab onto. Like so much of my town was destroyed. I couldn't go. I couldn't seek solace at my grandparents' house because their house was destroyed. Couldn't seek solace at my mom's because her house was destroyed. And that was the biggest loss to me was, you know, the house that I grew up in was also the house that my mom grew up in. She bought it from my grandparents whenever she, um, in the first few years of my life, she bought it from my grandparents. So it had, that house had been in our family for, you know, like 40 plus years? More than that. Like 1960 to 2011. So like 50 years. That house had been in our family for like 50 years. And I'm pretty sure my grandpa would have been only the second owner of that house because it was built in like the late 40s or the 50s or something. Mom probably knows. She's probably screaming it at the into her headphones right now um let me know if you know um but anyway sorry i didn't know i was going to talk about this but (laughs) that's the tagline of this podcast i didn't know i was going to talk about this but you know that's what i have to relate to because i can go that sort of those moments of shock and those you know like the first thing we did was we like gathered together some stuff i remember packing up two backpacks full of crap just like whatever you could grab and then we walked to my grandma's house which i think normally would have been maybe a 30 minute walk but with all the debris and the chaos i have no idea how long it took us but it probably took a couple of hours to get to her house minimum um and we had no idea we couldn't get a hold of anyone we didn't know if they were okay, you know, anything. And we got there and my grandma was, we were able to stay there through the night. I mean, it was, it was very destroyed, you know, like the the roof was leaking, half the house, half the roof was blown off, you know. Um, But it was the safest, it was the most shelter that any of us had in the whole family. And I remember when we got there, like my grandma, ever the host, you know, the speaking of absurd things that happen in moments of total tragedy. She was just, you know, we hadn't, of course we had no electricity or anything. And so she was, she was trying to get us to like eat the ice cream sandwiches out of her freezer. And she was like, they're going to go bad. Do you want some ice cream sandwiches? You know, trying to be a grandma. And that's the thing that just like really sticks in my, one of the things that really sticks in my mind of those like moments in the the immediate aftermath of tragedy. It's like, I was eating this ice cream sandwich and it was the saddest ice cream sandwich that had ever existed. But I was eating it because it was like, It was like a gesture towards my grandma or something it was like hopefully that this will make her feel some moment of normal if i eat this ice cream sandwich you know i I didn't at all want to eat an ice cream sandwich (laughs) and it was tasteless to me in that moment and it was awful and i just remember thinking this is the saddest ice cream sandwich i've ever eaten (laughs) and anyway like i think you know obviously like Joss Whedon is an asshole of a human and, uh, he's dead to me, but he does create some really, really good art. And this episode is a testament of that. So that can't be taken away from the dick, but it really does. Cr- it, it It puts you in that moment so thoroughly and, I really like the way that it's written, how the different characters are dealing with it. You know, Xander is angry and he wants, he wants something to fix. He wants something to do. He, he, he needs to act. And you even see that the dynamics between he and Anya are kind of, um, interesting because she, you know, I see her as the autism surrogate character, even if they didn't mean for her to be, but you know, she's, she's confused and she doesn't understand, like, what are we expected to do? What does this mean? I don't, I don't understand. She, she's asking questions. She's kind of like a child in that way. And and I think a lot of autistic people can relate to that. I know I can, but, and some of the things that I want to say about the dynamic between Xander and Anya, just in general, but also in this episode, is he, he's not being outright critical of her in this episode like he usually is but he's still sort of like ignoring her she's asking legitimate questions like even though it seems let's let's contrast for a second the relationship between Tara and Willow and the relationship between Xander and Anya in this episode so the scene with Tara and Willow like of course you know that's the scene where like finally you get the first you know, lesbian kiss on network television. And the only reason why they got it was because it was buried in this super, super emotional episode that was so good that the network didn't tell them to take it out, you know, and we haven't gotten that. We got to see more affection between Tara and Willow than we've ever seen before. And usually they don't even show that much affection towards each other. And I know in the future that's going to change after this moment. So I'm excited for that. But just to like talk about the, the scene between Tara and Willow, I think is really beautiful because, you know, Tara's been through this before and we don't know this yet when we're watching this scene, really. I mean, I think we kind of knew that her mom was gone, but yeah, anyway, what I think is so beautiful that I'm not sure if I ever noticed before this time watching it was Willow's like imploding because you know she's fixating on the fact that she wants to wear this certain shirt because Joyce complimented her once while she was wearing it. And I can really relate to that actually like when you you know that like okay I just I can totally relate to that. Like okay, I need this one specific sweater and if I can just wear that sweater I'll be okay. And I'm like of course that's absurd. But and Tara knows it's absurd but she's being very supportive of Willow. She's like, okay, I can go look in my room again. Do you want me to go to the laundry room and see if you left it there? She's helping her, even though, you know, I'm sure she's thinking this is ridiculous, Willow, but she is supporting her. And I can't tell you how many times I've been fixating on something that stupid in a moment. And the people around me, are not supporting me because they can see how stupid it is. But that's not always the best reaction to someone, you know? It's not, you gotta meet them where they are to a certain extent, you know? And Willow is doing, or Tara is doing that for Willow. She is meeting Willow where she is. She's not telling her, bitch, you're being ridiculous. It doesn't matter what fucking shirt you wear right now, which is absolutely the truth. But she's supporting her and I just think that's beautiful and I don't know if I've ever really like I knew that Tara was Tara is supportive of Willow and I knew that Willow was being ridiculous picking trying to pick the right shirt or whatever but I don't think I ever really thought about it that like Tara is consciously making the choice right now to you know she's being empathetic to what Willow's going through she know she understands that people have weird reactions to grief because she's been there and she's just letting them play out. You know, she's not judging anybody for the way that they're reacting to things. And she's like one of the only characters not judging people for the way that they're reacting to things. Um, and okay. So contrast that to Xander and Anya. Like Anya's asking a lot of questions. She doesn't understand what's going on. And a lot of the time Xander is just not answering her at all. He's just ignoring her and I can understand, you know, like he's in shock. He's not trying to be cruel, but you know, Anya's always asking incessant questions about things, about the way that things work. And if you, anyway, but he's kind of ignoring her. There's this one scene in like the waiting room where like, Anya and Xander are standing, like, a foot and a half apart, and they're both sort of, like, you know, curled up into themselves. They're not, you know, Xander is very available and huggy and affectionate with, like, Buffy and Dawn even, but he's not really, and you see him in a, in one moment where he tries to reach out to, like, comfort Anya after she has her moment of where I really lose it that moment <laughs> we'll get there. I haven't even looked at my notes yet, but there's only a page and a half of them. So and he tries to like go to her and hug her and she she doesn't want him to hug her. But she hugs Giles later in the episode just like so she is not completely like no one's offering affection to Anya except For Xander in that one moment, but for the most part, he's kind of ignoring her. He's kind of giving her her space, I guess. But I think in moments of crisis, it, you know, that's one of the moments that you can really test a relationship. Like, what's the dynamic like when you're in a traumatic situation with a person? You know, do you get closer to that person in that moment or do you get further away from them? And I think we're seeing them get further away from each other in this episode. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's just something that I noticed this time around. I don't know if it's fully thought out, but like just the body language between the two of them, there was that moment where um, this, this really bothered me. Again, I'm over-identifying with Anya, but that's kind of my thing. So she... They're in, like, the waiting room or whatever, waiting for the doctor to come out after the autopsy. And Anya just sort of blurts out, I wish Joyce didn't die because she was nice and now we all hurt. And it was sincere and weird, but, you know, Buffy actually just says, thank you. And right after Anya says that, Xander tries to, like, cut the tension. Or whatever, and he's like, Anya, ever the wordsmith. You know, he makes fun of her in that moment. And I never really thought of it that way. You know, I was just like, haha. I thought of it as like sort of affectionate making fun of, but their body language in the moment is like I said a second ago. They're like standing a foot and a half apart. They're both sort of like holding their arms around themselves and. You know, if he had responded if he had said that same line, but also responded with like putting his arm around her or kind of looking at her while he was saying it, but instead it was like talking about her like she wasn't there. You know, if he'd kind of let her in on the joke, maybe and she doesn't look like she's upset by it, but that's still that just that moment bothered me this time. You know, like He's got to make fun of her in this moment because he recognizes that that was a weird moment. But everyone can go ahead and quietly recognize that it's a weird moment without calling it out, you know? And again, I'm being hypersensitive to Anya's plight because growing up autistic and not knowing that I'm autistic because I didn't get my diagnosis until it was like 28, 29, 30, somewhere around there, late 20s, early 30s. So, you know, for the majority of my life, I didn't know why I was so weird. I didn't know why, you know, people made fun of me. And sometimes it really got to me. And I really developed an exterior of like, you know, I really built walls around people for sure, because, you know, being my true self being sincere and blurting things out like I wish Joyce didn't die because she was nice you know because that's definitely something that like I could have said you know um just let people be who they are and Xander does not let pe- let Anya be who she is which is why their relationship could never have worked out like I've always been super heartbroken by you know when they're he leaves her at the altar and I still will be super upset in that moment for sure. But it's mostly empathy for Anya that I feel at this point, because, you know, he has issues that he's not saying. And this episode is showing you a tiny, tiny little window into that because she's trying to communicate throughout this episode. She's asking questions. She's trying to communicate. She's She's trying to talk about her feelings in some way and he is not responding. You know, I just, I feel that like vicarious invalidation, you know, which is definitely something that I've experienced in my life, you know, and I can understand like a person that's asking a lot of like incessant questions that like seem obvious to you. Like sometimes you just can't deal. Like sometimes I feel like I'm too much for people. But, um, and I'm sure Anya feels that way too. Anyway, let's take a drink of mango LaCroix water. It's my favorite flavor. It's actually not literally LaCroix. It's some other brand. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. Let's go to my notes. Band candy reference. Yes. Okay. So one of the things that I'm not sure I ever noticed before this particular time around is, I mean, obviously the episode is called The Body. It's not called Joyce is Dead. It's about that sort of reconciliation of like this person that you know is no longer in there, you know? And I remember the first time I made that realization, it was one of my grandpa's brothers or cousin. I think it was a brother at his funeral and in my mind, I'm like 10 years old, but I think it happened way later than that. But it was the first time I had seen a person's body that I had known, you know? And I just remember very clearly going, oh, he's not there anymore. And that's such a weird thing to like directly experience, you know? Like if there's ever any argument for a soul or spirituality or something like that, I can see how you can get real mystical in those moments. I can see how that magical thinking can really take place in those moments because it was very clear that there was a huge difference between a person that is alive and a person who is not, (laughs) you know? I mean, that sounds so obvious to say out loud, but, you know, experiencing that, for yourself is so different, you know? Okay. I need to like get on track here, going down weird rabbit holes and side roads. Um, okay. So like, I, I really noticed this time, you know, the, the transition of, you know, like, like when the 911 person that Buffy is talking to on the phone, says, you know, the body is cold, and Buffy's like, "No, my mom," and then there was like the point where the paramedic says, "Try not to disturb the body." Um, I I wonder if now I could be wrong about this, but I wonder if in situations like that, a nine one one operator and a paramedic, people that are trained to deal with these types of situations would use terms like that for a person in that moment? Would that paramedic have said to Buffy, don't disturb the body when he's talking to her about her recently deceased mother? Would he say it like that? Or would he say, try not to disturb your mother, go have a glass of water, please call someone to come hang out, be with you right now. You know, I mean, he was compassionate And I, I did like that touch of him really, even though they had another call they needed to go to, he took the time to really, you know, talk to her while she was in that shock moment. And I really appreciated that. But, and I, and I realize it's a plot device. It's, it's to make you think about the fact that, you know, mom's not here anymore, which is like the last you know, lines in this episode is she's not there, you know, that kind of thing. But I still, I, th- I feel like in real life, a 911 operator and a paramedic in that situation would be trained to not use that terminology to a person in that moment, you know, like, especially the 911 operator, I think she would have said, your mom is cold, you know, instead of, the body's cold, but I mean it was meant to kind of shock you, so I get it. It's a plot device. Okay, I'll move on. But, um, I really thought it was very poignant, and probably this moment wouldn't have been as poignant if we hadn't heard other people refer to her mother as a body, but that moment when when Giles gets there, and he's standing in the doorway, and you know that any second he's gonna look over and he's gonna see Joyce. And, you know, he's, he's primed for action. Like what's going on? Is Glory here? What's happening? And then he sees her and he's like, oh, and he goes to her and Buffy's like, no, no, you can't. It's too late. We're not supposed to disturb the body. And then she realizes that she just referred to her mother as a body and she, and then he goes to her and he hugs her. And I think that this, ah, oh, there you go. See, It's happening. So I think that this, um, I wanted to talk about Giles and hugging. (laughs) Um, we, I was trying to think back on the hugs that I can remember between, particularly between Giles and Buffy. And I can't think of a single instance besides this one, and I could be wrong because I've not been paying hyper intense focus to this until now. But I wonder the only time I can think of Giles initiating a hug with Buffy is in this moment. And it looks very strange because they were trying to get the shot of Buffy's shocked face and Giles hugging her at the same time. So it didn't look like a natural hug, but the other hugs that I can remember between Giles and Buffy were all hugs initiated by Buffy and Giles feels tremendous, tremendous affection towards Buffy, of course, but we don't get anything even close to remotely creepy between these two characters ever. And it's not even overly affectionate. It's appropriate levels of affectionateness between a person who is a father figure, but is not your father and you. You know, um, and you, like, as if I relate to Buffy in any way. <laughs> yeah, I'm a hero too, guys. I'm a slayer. Um, but uh, this is the only moment I can think of where he initiates the hug. And that is the case in with every other character in this show, Giles does not hug. And I like to think of this as, you know, Anthony Stewart head is just a great person. And this was a character choice that he made that he wasn't going to initiate hugs with young teenagers when he's in his late forties, early fifties during the filming of this show. You know, every time we see a hug happen between Giles and another character, it's initiated by that other character, you know? Um, I think, I mean, that's just the way that my memory is going right now. I could be wrong about that, but this is the one time where he goes and hugs her and it's a momentary thing. You know, he's going from thinking, oh my God, do I need to do CPR on Joyce? What's going on? Something's wrong. To, oh shit, (sighs) she's dead. Buffy knows she's dead. I have to comfort her. And he just gets up and just immediately goes to her and I just lose it. Um, so glad he's there. Okay. (laughs) Go back to my notes. Anyway, I mean, I feel like it would be kind of pointless to explain all the little moments in this episode, but you know, Um, So many people have talked so much about this episode over the last 20 years. This episode has been dissected by people way more eloquent than me, but, um, you know, all those little moments, you know, the choice to not have any kind of music cues in this episode. And I wore headphones while watching it today. And I mean, there's lots of little tiny, like someone is practicing like a fucking tuba or something, in that moment where she's just thrown up, and she opens the door, and she sees the world outside is just going on as normal, and it's a sunny, beautiful day, and you can hear wind chimes, and you can hear children laughing, and you can hear someone practicing their fucking tuba, which I call bullshit, because Dawn is still in school, so why are kids practicing tubas, and why do you hear kids playing outside if it's not after school time? I don't know, whatever. (laughs) Maybe uh, Dawn is Taking an after school art class or something. (laughs) Anyway, um, so I thought that was a good touch. You know, it really sounded like a real moment was going on around her. And just all those little touches, especially in this first scene when the immediate, immediate shock, you know, where she throws up on the rug and. And then she's just sort of staring at the paper towel and then she opens the door and you hear the wind chimes and, and that all feels so real. And the reason why it feels real is because it's a focus on the mundane, you know, on the actual experience, like you can deal with so many heavy topics through watching movies and TV. And I think that's important to be able to, but it still feels like fantasy, you know, because there's music cues and, you know, it doesn't feel like real life. And so when it is made to feel like real life, it can be so jarring. And I think that's part of the appeal of ASMR too. I don't know if you guys are into ASMR, but it's, it's definitely a thing for me. I love it. And I think part of what is, what makes ASMR work is when it feels like a quiet, real situation, you know, like the kind of, I don't know if that makes sense, but like, obviously this moment is not ASMR. You do not feel relaxed. You feel incredibly sad, but the sound design that is in Buffy, if if we're not talking about fight scenes and awful, awful, awful fight music, um, that aside, the sound design in Buffy is really incredible. Every time I watch an episode with my headphones on, it's, I'm always impressed by that. And, you know, especially in this episode where it's all about those little sounds. Um, but anyway, okay, back to the notes, back to the notes. She's having like little hallucinations where, you know, you think that, you know, and, and it makes, I I feel like it makes sense. You know, you would have those little moments because when tragic things happen, even, even on a, like a small scale of like you getting into a wreck and not being injured, but like your car is totaled or whatever, you know, even in those moments, you think of those little things like. Like, for example, just to bring it back to my own life, it's all about me, right? But I got in a wreck. My very first wreck that was my own fault happened within, like, the first two weeks that I had a license. I had borrowed my mom's car, and I was going... It was such a petty thing, too. My sister had stolen something of mine. I don't even remember what it was. A shirt, a sweater, a dress fucking, I have no idea. She had stolen something of mine, which she did all the time. I had a padlock on my bedroom door because she stole things from me constantly. And this particular item was at a friend's house. (laughs) So, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to drive you over to her house because I have a license now. I'm going to drive you over to her house and you're going to get it back for me. God damn it. So we did, and we're on our way home, and I turned left, and no, everyone was fine. It wasn't a super tragic thing, but it was the first time I was in a wreck where it was my fault, so of course it was a big deal, and um, I was in the left turn lane. I turned left, I hit someone, and my sister was like freaking out, and <laughs> I remember being very calm, but because that's the way that I am in those moments, I go into like freeze mode pretty quickly, where I will be just like eerily calm and thinking about the stupidest shit. Like I remember thinking, that's so weird that the music is still playing in the car. Like it doesn't know what just happened and it's still playing. (laughs) And I felt like the music was betraying me because it was not respecting the fact that it should no longer be playing after something bad happened you know <laughs> and um and i just remember thinking god if i just had like let it go whatever that thing was whatever that fucking thing was that i needed to have back that my sister stole from me if i had just let it go And it was the first time I had ever driven my little sister anywhere, the very first time. And I got into a wreck. Um, and I totaled my mom's car. It was an old car. So like, you know, old cars get totaled pretty easily, but I totaled my mom's car. And of course she was freaking out. (laughs) Luckily we were only like four blocks from the house or something. So she just like ran over there on foot and, um, I didn't get a ticket. I should have gotten a ticket because it was clearly my fault. Um, anyway. <laughs> I'm really focusing in on those moments, you know, those moments right after something tragic happens <laughs> or something weird and unexpected that just jars you out of reality. You know, I couldn't listen to that Switchblade Symphony alvo- album for like years. <laughs> I remember it was, um, the album that was playing in the car, Switchblade Symphony, The Three Calamities. Yep, I think that was the name of the album. Anyway. (laughs) I really didn't, I think I stopped listening to that album altogether because I felt like it betrayed me. (laughs) Because I didn't know that it should stop playing. (laughs) Okay, so god, I've only gotten through like the first fucking scene, you guys. (laughs) Anyway, I I guess I could just like really focus on... Okay, I'm just gonna like kind of read through my notes and see if there's anything I need to say about any of them. Anya has questions. Okay, here we go. So this particular time watching it, this last time, um, I watched it on Thursday and then I watched it again today on the anniversary day, just now before recording, as per usual. And I was able to pretty much keep it together this time. I was like, I purposely didn't turn the volume up very loud and I was taking notes and I was kind of like, kind of forcefully distancing myself from what I was watching to a certain extent. But when I got to that scene where Anya starts, you know, she's been asking questions and no one's answering her and she's, she just says, I, I don't understand. You know, she's, no one will tell me why, why she, she's just a body now and she can't get back in it and she'll never brush her hair again. And she'll never drink fruit punch. And no one will tell me why. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> oh I lost it at that point. Like usually I'm crying the entire time and I'm just losing it at every moment that you're supposed to lose it but this time I was able to keep it together until Anya and that was the moment that broke my mom too like she she was pretty good at keeping it together while I was watching it with her on Thursday but it was it was after Anya's speech that like that one was just holy crap I can't take it I just relate to her so much in this episode and just like in general okay (laughs) Um, I liked the moment where okay so Xander has punched the wall and they got his hand out and everyone just sort of like is kind of brought back down to reality like they're kind of taken out of the shock and they're just sort of staring at his hand and it's bleeding and Tara looks at him and she says it hurts and he just kind of looks like yeah it I I liked that moment because I think it really spoke to the fact that Tara because she's been through this and because she's a very empathetic person in general she's able to see what everyone else is going through in this moment and she's able to really keep it together we don't see her really cry in this moment except when she mentions Dawn where she's like Buffy went to talk to Dawn at school <laughs> you know but she sees that, like, what that moment is. Xander is, like, reckoning with the fact that, okay, I just fucked up my hand, and I'm alive. I'm alive, <laughs> you know? And I, I feel like that moment was, was done really well. Um, I thought it was weird that the doctor that we see doing the autopsy is the same doctor that was... Joyce's neurosurgeon. Like how small of a town is this? You know, I think whatever that was just like one of those things. Mom's like, it's a TV show. (laughs) Yes, I know. But sometimes you got to change your shirt 47 times. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Um, I loved that moment where Giles just sort of like jumps in and says, let me take care of the paperwork for you, Buffy. And he, and the doctor starts like he continues to talk and Giles just sort of, he's like, thank you, doctor. I will take care of that. I'll let you know what you need to see, Buffy. I love how he just like set a boundary immediately. Like, thank you. (laughs) Um, let me take care of this paperwork. Let's go. And he just takes care of that shit. He just swoops in and takes care of it. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I loved the moment where Anya hugs Giles. So like everybody gets there and they're at the hospital and like, you see, I I liked this hugging moment because I think it was thoughtful. Who was hugging who, you know, like Tara immediately goes and hugs Dawn and Xander and Giles hug. And it was the first time I think we've ever seen two men on this show hug could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time we've seen that happen where there wasn't like a moment where do we do we hug are we too manly to hug you know that sort of stupid joke that is almost always there there was nothing like that there was no hesitation at all whatsoever Xander and Giles hug in the scene and I don't think we really see Giles hugging anyone else until like Anya's not hugging anyone she's just sort of standing back like away from everyone and Willow and Buffy are hugging And, you know, Willow's telling Buffy that she loves her. And Buffy's like, I know, (laughs) which is fine. She's in shock. And, um, it just that, that was just such a sweet moment. Like not only because like Anya just sort of attack hugs Giles, but he just responds with such sweetness and affection towards her. And it's just (sighs) incredible. Anyway, I love Giles. Okay. I love Giles and I love Anya so that I, I like their relationship and I we get to see a lot more of that in the last couple of seasons too that like not only do they work together but Anya like I think Giles is more respectful of Anya than a lot of people are so it makes sense that she would gravitate towards him Plus, you know, they both, they're the ones that have the most demonology knowledge because Giles has got the books and Anya's got the, you know, being a thousand year old demon, she knows how this shit works. So, um, they have a lot in common and I love when they put them together, you know? Um, okay. Where are we? I already talked about the, I wish that Joyce didn't die moment. Then we get, Okay so everybody goes to get snacks and Dawn has gone to try to find her mom unbeknownst to everyone else. And, um, which in and of itself, it, that's another thing. Like a person might need to see the, excuse me, burpee. A person might need to see the evidence of what has happened so that they can get past the denial stage. Um, And also, especially a teenager is going to need that, you know, um, it makes total sense that Dawn's reaction would be, I don't believe this. I'm going to need to see her. I'm going to need to see her. And everyone's just ignoring her and saying, not now, Dawn, but you know, she's being ignored for what she needs, just like Hanya's being ignored for what she needs. You know, Anya needs answers, and Dawn needs to see her mom. And okay, anyway, so when the scene where like you know, Drowse is off doing the paperwork, Anya, Xander, and Willow are going to get snacks, and and Dawn is going to find her mom. So Willow or Willow, Tara and Buffy are sitting on the couch together, and that's when Tara tells. Buffy that she had lost her mom and it's just such a great scene I love Tara as calm knowledgeable person and the way that her character the turn that her character has taken towards that we get a little bit of her stuttering in this scene which I feel like we haven't seen in a while and I think this is a good place for it to happen it's just a tiny bit of stuttering and it makes sense that she would be a little bit you know This would be a very awkward moment, you know, like in these types of moments, I probably wouldn't be saying shit to anybody, you know, um, so I can understand and Tara just kind of tells Buffy, you know, like I remember having really weird thoughts, you know, things that I couldn't explain and I'm sure it's different for you, but I just want you to know that I'm here and I love this because we do get to see several moments not that many, but a handful of moments in the last couple seasons of Tara really getting Buffy. You know, she has, she strikes me as a person that like, she's been through grief. Obviously she's been through grief because her mom died. She's been through some darkness just even beyond that, like the, the family situation that she grew up in. She is so compassionate towards other people and she lets them be where they are and she meets them where they are. And I just love Tara so much. Um, so that was just a beautiful scene, of course. I like when Buffy says, everybody wants to help. And I don't even know if I'm here. I just feel like that's how many times have you had those, like, just moments that shock you out of reality so hard that you just feel completely disconnected from it, you know? Um, I think that was a good line to be in there. Um, I've only got two sentences of notes left. Dawn goes into the morgue. Why does she lock the door? (laughs) There's like a padlock on there or like a, not a padlock, but whatever you call those, those type of like slidey lock things. There's one of those and she locks the morgue behind her for some weird reason. And there's a vampire in there, of course, which vampires like, uh, anyway, I mean, I guess, yeah, whatever. I'm just not even going to argue with the details of that. But I did think this was an important moment to like have a vampire in this episode because, you know, Buffy fights a vampire without any terrible fight music. So that was nice. Um, and after she kills the vampire, you, you can really see like Sarah Michelle Geller is such a great actress. You can really see on her face. You can see the sort of relief that she usually has after killing a demon or a vampire she starts to feel it but then she comes back to reality like you see it all happen on her face and that was that was the probably the entire reason for that vampire attack being in this episode because you see her a thing that she knows how to do that she's very good at a thing that usually brings her at least a moment of closure you know once you've you know, that adrenaline has reached its natural stopping point when you've killed the vampire, you know, you know how it is. (laughs) She doesn't get that moment of closure and satisfaction because she's brought back to reality as soon as she kills that vampire and reality is awful. And it's like, it's like, I feel like that kind of encapsulates the feeling when something that tragic happens in your life where you have to keep reminding yourself, you know, where you forget, um, I remember after the tornado, like I had this like weird, like, I don't even know how to describe it, but like it would be like a year after or something where suddenly I would find myself driving towards my old house and it was like what I haven't lived there in a year (laughs) why would I just suddenly it's like it's like some default memory that's just default mode in your mind that like if you're not thinking about it then you completely forget what has happened you know (laughs) you have to remind yourself oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah my dad died I'm like, I've never been close to someone that died. <laughs> That's not the first time I've done that either. Um, if we were closer, I'd feel worse about that. But it, and it was just because it happened within a month of the tornado too. It was just like the my life was just in such upheaval that like, it was just another thing. Weirdly. It was like, I couldn't deal with with all of it at once I was already dealing with the tornado and that's all I could do so like my dad dying is something that sometimes I feel like it still hasn't hit me especially when I do things like that I've never been close to someone that died (laughs) yes you have yes you have um anyway okay well that's the end of my notes like I said I'm not going to I'm not going to do ratings. I don't think like object of the episode. I don't know. Xander had a purple car. It wasn't a cool car, but it was purple. (laughs) I'd love to have a purple car. Um, MVP of the episode. I mean, I'm going to give it to Giles just because he, or Tara. Let's, let's give it a, a tie to Tara and Giles. If I was actually keeping track of this shit, Uh, the times that Tara and Giles get a tie for MVP of the episode probably happens more than any other single person gets MVP of the I mean I give it to Giles all the time it's like anytime Giles does anything I'm like he's my MVP (laughs) I probably would like if I were I've never done this I should do this if I were ranking Buffy characters like my top 10 Buffy characters of all time giles would be up there he might even be number one like there are other characters that i just really really am am obsessed with as you guys know like faith and drusilla but since they're not around the entire time i think they probably wouldn't get to have the number one spot anyway this isn't the time nor is it the place for that discussion so i will stop but um yeah I don't know, as of like ratings for this episode, it's a five probably. Um, I had talked about with you guys, I don't know if I'm going to put the body in the vault as an episode that I will never subject myself to ever again, because it's completely different. My reasons for putting things in the vault, um, being, have all been like trauma reasons. Like I don't like seeing Xander be rapey. So that's why I put the pack in the vault. I don't like, I get way too triggered by like bad mom boyfriends, which is why I put Ted in the vault. And this episode makes me cry for 42 minutes straight. So that's why I thought I might want to put this one in the vault. But I mean, obviously there could be times where I'm binge watching Buffy and I just decide to skip over the body. I mean, that could happen. I will allow that to happen, but I'm not going to put it in the vault because I think this is such an important episode. And I think there could be times in my life, knock on episode guide, where I will want to find solace in watching this episode. Let's just leave it at that. But, um, I, I just, I, I hate how brilliant this episode is now that we know for sure that Joss Whedon sucks, but it is so good. I mean, it is a five out of five. I mean, it's a five out of five for a completely different reason than like, you know, band candies a five out of five you know that is a fun lighthearted, enjoyable episode this one is just too damn real the thing that I'm most pissed off about in this exact moment is let me consult my calendar because it's gonna be fucking April I know that much April motherfucking 17th is the next time we will have an episode of Buffy to talk about. And I'm pretty sure that episode picks up at the exact moment that this episode leaves off. So this was not a planned, like, interruption, I don't think, of the series. Um, or interruption's not the right word. You know what I'm saying? It was not a planned hiatus. Or if it was, why would you pick up where you left? I mean, I guess because they can do most likely like 20 years ago, they probably played a rerun of the body the week before they showed the next episode. So we, I should stop like, trying to pretend that I have any idea if I will be making any podcast episodes between now and then. I always think, God, I couldn't possibly leave you guys for a month and a half. That's crazy. But then I do. Um, so no promises. If you, for some reason, want are listening in real time in 2021 and you want my voice in your ear holes in between now and April 17th, then there are many ways you can get that for yourself. Um, you can watch my YouTube channel, which is under Mixtress Ray. I mostly talk about tarot on my YouTube channel. Um, you can become a patron at any level of giving. You get access to all of my Mixtress Radio podcast episodes, which is basically... Um, my Mixtress Radio broadcasts, um, without the music because copyright, but, um, I just put those sound files together into like a podcast-length episode, and it gets pretty personal. It's basically a personal podcast. It's basically my therapy, is Mixtress Radio every week. And so, if you want to become a patron, you can listen to like an hour and a half of me talking about super personal shit. Um, at any level of giving. So even just a dollar a month. And that is patreon.com slash Mixtress Ray. Again, links for all these things are down below. If you want some really personal attention of listening to my voice in your ear holes, (laughs) you can buy a tarot reading from me on Etsy. My shop name is Mixtress Tarot. Um, And I have everything from like $10, 10 minute readings up to hour long readings that are like $50, I think. Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's the most expensive reading that I have up. Um, so, and I love doing tarot readings and I don't get that many. So most of the time, if you order a tarot reading from me, you're going to get your reading delivered to you within like, usually within a day, unless like it just happens to be like a chunk of time where I'm working a lot and it might be two or three days, but most of the time it's within a day. And then I feel like there's more options. Of course, like you don't even have to become a patron to listen to me talk about super personal shit. If you tune in to Mixtress Radio, information is below and it's every Friday. Um, So I do a lot of talking (laughs) as my creative things. Thank you guys so, so, so much for listening. Um, and I will, if not before then, I will see you on April 17th, where we will talk about whatever's after the body. It is also like, it's just, it's more Joyce death stuff because it's called forever because like Dawn decides she wants to try to bring Joyce back or something. One thing I didn't even think about this and I'm kind of glad I'm glad that Spike wasn't in this episode at all. They didn't even like, you know, try to shoehorn him in somehow. There was just, it was just family in this episode, you know? Um, yeah. Anyway, so I will see you guys in about a month and a half, unless you want to join me on the other places in the internet where I do talky things. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. You guys are the best. Bye, 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 bye.